This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. You're listening to the MomWell Podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome Aaron and Stephen Mitchell, founders of Couples Counseling for Parents, to the show. Stephen holds a PhD in medical family therapy, and Aaron holds a master's in counseling psychology. Their company, podcast, and platform focuses on supporting couples as they transition through the developmental stages of parenting. Becoming a parent is hard, not just on both partners individually, but also on a relationship. It's a time of big change, new responsibilities, unrealistic pressure and expectations, and roles that none of us have received manuals for. But it's also a time when gender norms and roles can start to surface, often without us even realizing it. I can really distinctly remember this happening to my husband and I. When I was home on maternity leave, he was working 12-hour days, commuting downtown Toronto, and everything at home fell to me. Before I knew it, I was the default parent, the one who knew how to feed and soothe and manage all the rhythms of the day. Neither of us particularly wanted or planned for it to be this way, And neither of us felt particularly happy with this dynamic. It took a long time for us to realize what was going on and for us to understand that neither of us was at fault. We had been living with messages about what being a good mom and a good dad meant for so long that we fell right into these default patterns. It's something that many of us experience. We feel the weight of the invisible load of being the default caregiver and the go-to parent who everything just seems to fall to. The one who's automatically assumed will fill certain caregiving and household duties without it ever being a question or a true conversation. And understandably, we can start to build resentment, resulting in a breakdown of our communication, often leaving us at odds in our relationship. It isn't easy to break out of the pattern, but pushing back on the narrative that mom has to be the default parent and sharing the load can empower both of you and bring you closer together. Today, Aaron, Stephen, and I unpack what it really means to be the default parent. We dig into how the foundation gets laid down for moms to carry this load, why it puts a strain on relationships, and how we often run into communication trouble when trying to express our feelings about it. We also discuss what the default and non-default partners can each do to break out of the pattern, and why focusing on your needs is often the best place to start. But before jumping in, let's hear our iTunes review of the week. This review comes from MCAR1004, and it's titled, Momwell Helped Me Find Myself. As a first-time mom, I had an idea of what mom life would be, but once baby came, everything I thought I knew went right out the window. I had no idea postpartum anxiety or intrusive thoughts were a thing. I thought I was losing myself and my mind. When I found the Momwell podcast, I had to hold back tears because I finally found something that explained what I was going through and help me vocalize my feelings to my husband in a way he could understand. I tell all new moms to listen, and I will continue to listen myself because this podcast helped me find myself through one of the most difficult transitions I have gone through, motherhood. 
Thank you so much for leaving this review. I'm so glad that the podcast has helped you understand what you're going through. And I really understand that feeling of losing yourself and even feeling like you're losing your mind or that your body has betrayed you in some way. Motherhood can be really messy and hard at times. I hope that this podcast continues to be a support for you on your transition. And I hope you always know that you are not alone. For all of you out there listening, your reviews really do make a difference. I read every review and take it into account when choosing guests, topics, and planning what comes next for the podcast. Now let's hear my conversation with Aaron and Stephen Mitchell, founders of Couples Counseling for Parents. Has becoming a parent created a strain in your relationship? If so, you are far from alone. In fact, 67% of parents report a decline in satisfaction in their relationship during the first three years of baby's life. Parenthood brings new responsibilities, new stresses, and new potential sources of conflict. You might find yourself trying to cope with an imbalance in household labor or feeling unseen, unheard, and unappreciated. When your needs aren't being met, it can lead to a lack of intimacy and an increase in resentment. And when you start to feel resentful, it often becomes even more difficult to connect and communicate with your partner, creating a vicious cycle. If you're finding yourself feeling resentful, frustrated, or angry with your partner, talking to a specialized therapist who understands this adjustment can help. Mom therapists will help you work through your resentment, understand your emotions, help you set boundaries, communicate your needs, and help you explore what's really going on underneath your frustration. We provide virtual therapy support across Canada and are now serving 25 states in the U.S. Ready to learn more? Head to momwell.com slash booking to set up a free 15-minute virtual consultation. That's momwell.com slash booking. Welcome to the MomWell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Erin, Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I have to admit, I don't even know. I want to say it was like the Instagram algorithm gods popped you up <laughs> in my feed as a suggested post on my like personal hidden Instagram account that I like hide in on, you know, my own private time. So yeah. I think it was the default parent post and it was circulating. And I was just like, I don't think I've ever felt so seen or like something has been put into words so accurately to my 
experience. So I did a deep dive that day, not a stalker, (laughs) just a deep dive and was so happy to discover your platform and have you guys join us today. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having us. We're excited to be here. Yes. Thank you. Appreciate that. So, okay. Like, give me the scoop because you each have your education, are a couple, run a platform together, talk about parenting in, you know, relationships. How in the world does this work? How did it come about? I'm just so curious how you guys built your platform and found yourselves here. Great question. Um, We wonder the same thing ourselves sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So Stephen had his master's in counseling or was, I guess, getting it when we met. We were Mm -hmm. not an instant love connection. That can be a separate um, (laughs) podcast. But um, I went off to grad school and got my master's in counseling. And then he followed me um, uh. to a city, which is also not true. <laughs> but um, we we did. We had all this background. And then I guess our oldest was just a few months old when he started his PhD mm-hmm. in marriage and family therapy. And I think we said out loud, maybe every day, maybe several times a day, like, this shouldn't be this hard for us. We have mm. all this education. We yeah. have all this, like, we had both done a ton of individual. We had already done couples counseling, you know, like, even in like our premarital counseling, we saw like a therapist, like we were like, let's get into this. Let's do this well. And it was hard. It was so hard for us when we had our oldest. And Mm -hmm. we just kept saying, if this is hard for us, this is hard. Like, you know, we have all the tools, we have all the resources, we have all the education. And honestly, at that time, we even had a ton of family support. Mm -hmm. And it we should hard. have been better relationally. <laughs> we should <laughs> have we should have been communicating wonderfully and um, assuming each just, other's best. Yeah, it just wasn't happening. In in that, I think, or fluidly, because sometimes it happened. But man, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I, mm-hmm. and I think that we struggled for a long time. I mean, not that we don't still, you know, struggle uh, like in our relationship or things like that. But it, it just mm-hmm. that that sort of heaviness and that difficulty. I feel like we were like six years in, six or seven years in to to parenting. I forget how long we've been married by that time, probably 10 years or something like that. And I feel like things kind of clicked for us like relationally, where you felt more understood, I felt understood. And then I think from that place, what happened is we were like, you know what, we needed help. And we didn't feel like we had any help to navigate all of this stuff. And then we looked and we were like, we don't feel like there's a ton of help out there in the universe in, in terms of um, or help helping. that we found helpful. Well, well, specifically mm-hmm. helping couples with their relationship when they entered this phase of parenting. And so then from that, we were like, well, maybe we had always wanted to do something together as a couple anyway. And so we were like, well, maybe we could start creating, you know, kind of a space and content and, and all of that stuff for couples who were kind of like us, the way we were. And in this um, very specific season yeah. of life. And then we, mm-hmm. and then that just sort of grew into, I mean, I don't think we really knew what that meant. When no, we, we said for sure we had no idea that. what that meant. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, it kind of grew into the Instagram and the podcast and the membership, you know, all, all that kind of stuff that we do now. But I think that that's sort of how it came to be. It came to be. It came out of our own personal need. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. I think that there's a lot on relationships. There's a lot of relationship pages. And I don't know about you guys, but my relationship hadn't really been tested until we became parents. Like we, 
as individuals living together, you know, functioned very well as a unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't until things like the invisible load and default parenting or different parenting styles and things started to come about that there started to be tensions there even. And so there are a lot of common tools out there and communication tools and things that probably are still part of the work that you guys do with couples, but being able to see it through this very specific lens and articulate it in that way is just so helpful. And I think that because what we are talking about is so invisible, Mm -hmm. it is hard for people to identify and articulate, right? Like parenting styles clashing or like the default parent and the invisible load. Like these are very abstract in the background things that are playing out that it's hard to put your finger on. So I think you guys do an amazing job of putting language to those experiences. Thank you so much. Well, and I think what you're saying there, Erica, is so important. Like before a couple kind of enters into parenting, like those are new ideas. I mean, like in terms of default parent in terms of, I think maybe the invisible labor and some of those things might be present, like if you're not a parent for sure. But in some ways, there's this huge learning curve of like, life is completely different. There's completely new dynamics. Your relationship is not what it used to be. It is this new thing. And I think a lot of times what we find is couples feel really maybe embarrassed or bad or down on themselves that they're having a hard time in this phase of life. And it's like, oh, you know, we used to be okay and now we're not. And I think a lot of it too is just like, well, your relationship is just completely new. Mm -hmm. It's a new thing. There's new skills. There's new things that you have to learn. And I think a lot of times we spend kind of initial conversations with couples just trying to say like, it's really okay. It makes all the sense in the world that this is happening. Like all we're talking about is new skills that need to be developed in a new language, you know, for like, what is default parent? What is mental load? What is invisible? Like, what are these terms? I think to both of your points, I think we had definitely had some significant bumps in the road. We'd had like financial stress. We'd moved. We had job changes. Yeah, we had pregnancy loss. And yeah, things like we, that. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. But our capacity was so different and mm-hmm. our, our ability to access like ourselves and skills we'd learned and our ability to make choice in a stressful moment was present in a way that once we had kids, I mean, capacity's <laughs> diminished. You're not getting as much sleep. So tired. And, and I think Just a lot tired. of times the way even, not even me, me, the way I would try to communicate these like invisible things I didn't know how mm-hmm. to put words to, but I knew I was feeling and I knew I wasn't crazy for feeling, but the way I would try to describe it was by telling Stephen what he was or wasn't doing, what he did mm-hmm. or didn't know, what he couldn't imagine. And like, because I couldn't find it for myself. Like I didn't know why, you know, we always talk about this glass, Stephen, every single night forever used to have just like a glass of water. It wasn't like anything major, but he would leave it on our windowsill way before we ever had kids. And I would do it every morning and I would always make like a big dramatic thing and be like, let me move this all the way to the sink. That is a whole room away for you. And, but it was funny. It didn't bother me. It didn't upset me, but we had a kid and that glass was suddenly like 
you are putting me at a deficit. You have created a burden yeah. to my day yeah. in a way that felt really different. And I think surprising to us both, like this was always a joke, but now it's not funny <laughs> to anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that capacity word has always felt really important yeah. to me. Like, yeah, it's different. It's so different. And what I'm willing to handle and what I'm willing for my kids to get to observe. And it's all very different. Well, you spoke about Stephen going back and getting his PhD after your first was born. Mm-hmm. Now, it's going to strike a chord in my own default parenting <laughs> journey here because I hear that and I'm like, who picks up all the slack while dad gets to go off and learn and develop in his career while I'm on pause, you know, mm-hmm. in my career advancement and life, generally speaking, because I'm here caring for children. And it's interesting, my husband and I used to have this conversation a lot about how so much had changed for me and so little had changed for him Mm -hmm. because of my own internalized pressure to be a good mom. And a lot of this role I picked up myself, you know, unintentionally, but he continued to do certifications and do all of these educational things. And his response would be like, well, I do them on the train to and from work and like on my lunch break, they don't really like impact the family. Like I, I work it around the time spent with the family. I'm like, but you don't understand because now the mental capacity that I feel like I have to continue to carry that I can't hand over to you because I know that you've got this exam coming up is a whole burden on me having to protect your time. And time (laughs) is a currency right now in this postpartum stage, right? So these things that play out where it took us a really long time for me to be able to like, figure out and and communicate why that was difficult because it's like he's like it's literally like I'm on the train and it's at work like you don't even see the books like I don't understand mm. how this is a problem I'm like but you are not available to me if you are committed to this you know thing this like stretch or this sprint for this course or however and it becomes so clear I don't know I just felt so defaulted and was so stuck in this role right Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I think that was probably our primary fight our oldest first year. I mean, that was the sort of the the content of the fight. It, mm-hmm. it took sort of two different paths, which was who was more tired because Stephen was trying to not cost our family. I mean, that was what your husband said is what Stephen yeah. would say all the time. Like, I am doing this in a way where I'm trying to eliminate any additional cost to you by not sleeping. He literally was sleeping like two or three hours for two years. I made him see a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, but... But um, like, it's not costing you anything. And well, and, you know, where we got caught, like, so, you know, I would like, I would go to work, I would come home. I had stopped working. I stopped working on, I probably, our oldest was like three months. I try. I went back after maternity leave and was like, I was working in community mental health. We were going to actually un- end up like lose money with my salary <laughs> to have to pay for job. So I stopped working yeah. at, at that yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, well, and then I think how the conversation would go is I would go to work. If I had class or something like that, I would go to class and then I would come back home and I would not do anything until the kids went to s- Well, it was just our oldest until he went to sleep, which is like. That's when it was like 630. Yeah. But and then I would stay up until like 3 a.m trying to get my work done. And then I would, at some period, I would grab our son and I'd kind of strap him to my chest and sit there and bounce him while I was like typing papers and things like that. The reality was I was tired, 
Mm-hmm. I was trying he to do... He was also not allowed to say that. I ever. was mm-hmm. trying to do a lot, but Aaron was also tired. And I think the reality was, is, you know what? We both can be tired, but our experiences can be different. And kind of this idea of Aaron being the default parent and sort of all the extra that she was carrying didn't mean that I wasn't doing something. Mm-hmm. And I really do believe this. Like, I feel like she was carrying more than I was. But there had to be this conversation where I could accept that you telling me how challenging and difficult things is, is not you negating that I'm doing something or trying, you know, like you're not telling me that I'm a terrible human and a terrible dad and a terrible husband. You're Mm -hmm. trying to tell me that things feel different for you Mm -hmm. and that that difference bears a really, really, really big cost. And in our relationship, I think I realized too that I felt like that cost was greater than the cost to me. And Mm -hmm. I needed to like see that and acknowledge that. Yeah. I think so the two conversations that we kept not really being able to articulate, I think until you said six years, and I think that's right, which by the way, was six years and three kids later, we finally had some productive conversations around this, which was, but it was like sleep, like I'm tired. And so when Stephen would say I'm tired, I would just have such a like off physical yeah. reaction of yeah. disgust at him and his life. And like, you have no idea. Um, and I was very dismissive and I am kind of sorry about that. But like, I was trying to express something important. I did yeah. not yeah. have the language I needed at the time. And then also his life hadn't changed. So he's going to work full time and he's a student full time. He's really not sleeping because he's working. And I'm saying your life hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. And I get conceptually, like in my mind, intellectually, like obviously that wasn't true. His life, of course, it changed, but like it hadn't changed in the same way as mine had. And same thing, I just couldn't find the language to say, like, the cost is not the same. You are doing all of this personal development. You mm-hmm. are yeah. like growing in your career. You are. Um, and, e- and even though I'm going to work, which, you know, isn't like going to a holiday, like I'm still like not parenting. As busy moms, the last thing we need is more on our to-do list. It's hard enough to remember who needs what packed for school, when the next doctor's appointment is, and when to register for events, let alone remembering to call and cancel subscriptions that drain your finances every month. That's why Rocket Money is so great. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you notice something that you don't want, Rocket Money can help you cancel it with a few taps. They even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash momwell. That's rocketmoney.com slash momwell. Feeding the family is one of the most all-consuming parts of the invisible load. Meal planning, shopping, trying to balance nutrition, finding the time to actually cook with little ones needing your focus and attention can be so stressful. But Factor makes it easy. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals take the mental load off your plate, 
providing pre-prepared chef-crafted meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to select from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan plus veggie, and more. You can even choose from over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, including snacks and smoothies. With Factor, there's no prep and no mess. The meals are 100% ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. That means no cooking and no cleanup, which is great for busy moms. You can choose the schedule that works for you and your family. Choosing six to 18 meals per week and pausing or rescheduling your deliveries is quick and easy. Reclaim some time and reduce your mental load with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use the code momwell50 to get 50% off. That's code momwell50 at factormeals.com slash momwell50 to get 50% off. It's so reminiscent of the conversations that we had. Like my husband went, he commuted into Toronto. He was gone 12 hour days, yeah. two hours commuting into the city, two hours coming out. He's like, do you think this is fun for me? Yeah. I'm yeah. like, of course it's not. But are you having adult conversations and eating a hot lunch? Like you don't know the hell I've been through today, right? <laughs> like I had three young children yeah. all within the span of three years. And so it became this like, it's so hard to hear one another. Yes. Um, and it's so hard to have a partner see the default role when it's not expected of them and they don't have to fulfill it, right? Because mm -hmm. like you're saying, like my husband, he was tired because he was burning the candle at both ends because of something he chose and he signed himself up for. And because he was like looking to advance his career. Now he was looking to advance his career to provide for our family, right. which is his socialized, you know, expectation on him, which I can respect. Right? right. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, but you don't see what I am in. You're gone all day. And so for those who maybe don't have a full sort of understanding of what the default parent is and what it is we're talking about, can we put like a quick definition to it for people? People ask us this all of the time. Yeah. I, I think there are like actual definitions. My favorite go-to one is like the default parent is the person who doesn't get to go to the bathroom by themselves, which mm. obviously isn't the whole thing. But why I actually sincerely like that one is because it feels practical and it's kind of ridiculous. And like, those are the things I think that really begin to hurt a relationship. Mm -hmm. Because if you're comparing hours in a day of who's working or who's working harder or who's working more, those are impossible to prove. Um, mm -hmm. because yeah, you can go round and round and round on that. Like keeping score, it, it, keeping yeah, score, who yeah. does what. It, it just, mm -hmm. And Erica, it sounds like your husband and certainly Stephen, like if you would ask me, even at the time, is Stephen working hard? Yes. Is Stephen working hard for our yeah. family? Yes. Did you agree and like support all of these decisions? Yes. Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so sometimes I would talk myself <laughs> in and out of it. So then the response would be like, then what are you complaining then, about? Then why and are that, you upset about it? That would end in a fight. Not, not a great conversation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, but it could also just all that could all but, be swirling in my head about like, why am I so upset? But can we go back to a definition really quick? Yeah, because I, I do think, so we talked about this. All the time. And the bathroom one is something Aaron likes. <laughs> but the way I kind of see it is, I think the default parent is the the parent who has always chosen first 
when Mm -hmm. it comes to anything related to kids, but even also like household, household, Mm -hmm. you know, and then kind of more broadly when we're talking about related to kids, then it's also like the logistics of like managing a kid's life, but also that emotional care for kids as well. And so, and the reason I, I, that idea of the parent who has always chosen first matters, I think, is because Aaron and I can be sitting in the same room together. Let's say we're on our phone doing something. And like 100% of the time, our kids will come in. And if they have a question, if they have a need, whatever it is, they're going to ask Aaron Mm -hmm. every time. Every, every time. My children she will is, bypass their dad who is right, right in front of them and hunt me down in the shower yes. upstairs to yes. ask me a question. Yes. Like yes. you'll go up two levels or whatever when your dad was literally right beside you. To me, I think it is like what you're describing. It is the who do we assume this role is going to fall to, right? It's like the assumption like, Oh, who is responsible for this? And it often falls to mom. Mom is responsible for the childcare, responsible for the appointments, mm-hmm. responsible for it's like that default built in. Whose job is this really? Mm-hmm. And I feel like societally, that's really established in us as we take in all of these norms that mm-hmm. these are certain roles that moms take on or dads take on, or, you know, then we've got different partnerships and they have better distribution of labor because they have more conversations about gender and how things should be divided. Mm -hmm. So it's like, we talk about family values in our home and I'm like, one of them will be that I am not the default assumption for any of your things here. Like you are, you're responsible for yourselves and we're responsible to contribute to a family unit as a whole. And so there's something about the assumption or being the automatic person responsible, even though there's not a conscious opting into that Mm -hmm. role. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think, and I know this is unpopular, but I think it anyway. So six years later, what finally happened was we had a lot of family tragedy, unfortunately, but Stephen ended up quitting his job and mm-hmm. we ultimately started doing this, but it was in the very early stages of mm-hmm. that at the time, but we were both available. So before these questions that came to me made sense, I was the only one there. Stephen also was yes. working. He worked four 12 hour days straight. And then his short day was eight and a half hours. And like, of course, our kids are going to ask me to cut apples. If they're ask, waiting for Steven, it's going to be two hours after their bedtime. Yeah. You know, like that doesn't even, it's not smart. But suddenly yeah. we're right. both there and these questions are still coming to me. And I needed Steven to say, I, I, I remember the moment when he was like, I get it. The cost mm-hmm. is different. Like it is, I see it. Like the, the cost to your body, on your body, the, like it's different. And, and I think it's really important that everyone understand. I liked my role. I liked... What I was doing, I liked being with the yeah, kids. It wasn't like I was like asking for it to change. I didn't even right? want it to yeah. change what I was doing because that was like, do you want to get a job? Like that's not the point. Like I don't mm. even think any of this would change if that's what. Like, but I needed Stephen to say it. Yeah. I needed him to acknowledge that. I needed him to begin to like see it in real moments. And then here's the part I think is unpopular. I also needed to start and not with any like anger or sarcasm say like. I don't know, see what dad thinks. Or when Stephen would say like, hey, any movement on booking that pediatrician's appointment? Like, I don't know, you should call. And like, not to be a jerk or dismissive, but to point back like- Set a boundary. Yes, exactly. It it was just a very, and it wasn't passive. Like I wasn't trying at all to be passive aggressive. Mm -hmm. It was just like, I don't want 
this question. And your dad is very capable and honestly willing. It was never that Stephen was like, I can't make dinner. I don't know how to do that. It just wasn't what he had been asked yet. Mm-hmm. And you kind of refer to that in some ways of, again, not in an aggressive or unkind way, but like taking some of that power My back. power back. Yeah. Like for, yeah. And, and I think that what happens, I think, where this conversation can go wrong and where we had to go wrong a lot of times is there's this idea that I did have to realize that there is a societal system out there. There's this thing called the patriarchy. There's these things out there that automatically place Erin in a context where she is the default parent. Expected to be. Mm-hmm. Expected to be. Mm-hmm. Because what I missed is I would get a little defensive and defend him. But why didn't do it? Like one of the kids walks past me and talks to, you know, Aaron instead of me, I, I, I'm like, why didn't, you know, like, like how is that I, my I, fault? I, I'm like, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I didn't right. tell our kids to do that, you know, and oftentimes I think that, and this wasn't part of our conversation, but it's a part of a lot of conversations we hear where the non-default parent will kind of say, you actually do this. You perpetuate this dynamic because of the way you're parenting or because you're making our kids mm. dependent or whatever on you in this way. And that, or because you're so critical of me, yeah, or because yeah. I can never do it right, I can never meet your standard, I can, um, and, and, and which is a separate conversation. That, that, that is a separate a conversation, thing. but it does, it does kind of come into play here. But I think what I had to begin to realize is I have to actively work against this contextual dynamic. And so that's why we could have the conversation where I might say something like, hey, what are we having for dinner tonight? And Aaron and is, is like, I don't know. What, that's what such you, a good question. What have yeah, you come up with? What, what, mm-hmm. What's your plan? You know, mm-hmm. and, and for me to be like, oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because we both have to actively work against that pattern, but we both have to be on the same page about doing that. And, and I recognizing think that, that it is a pattern. Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and that, that's a really hard conversation. Those were really hard conversations. But there, I do remember that moment kind of being like, oh, and I forget, I don't really necessarily remember all the details around why that happened. But there was just something that clicked in my mind where I was like, we are not talking about the same cost here. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what I need to be involved in is helping you, Aaron, like shift this dynamic you know, and, and be aware of how I contribute to it and be aware of, you know, how I can be a part of actively doing something different. Mm-hmm. And and it's still present, but. Sure. Yeah. But you are <laughs> like nudging it more towards a fair distribution than an automatic assumption in the one direction. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's where like it. these default patterns can be really detrimental to relationships because there might be family structures out there where traditional gender norms are like where it's at for them Mm -hmm. and have at it if that's working for you. But if there is resentment, if one parent feels like they are drowning, if it is tearing the relationship apart, Mm -hmm. then we've got an issue. And with the clients that I work with and with the book that I'm writing and the conversations I've been having lately with like Eve Rodsky and Claire Shipman who wrote the power code. And as an advocate for women, just blanketly speaking, like we cannot start to reclaim our power in ourselves and in society until we can free up our freaking time. Like until (laughs) we are not automatically defaulted into this caretaking and house taking role, 
we can't really live out our own whatever we want that to be, like Mm -hmm. calling or career or hobby or interest or whatever it is because we're so consumed with and already our time is spoken for with this default role, right? So I think that the impacts of this default parenting ripple like far beyond even just the tasks themselves and how they get done because it is a lack of autonomy over one's time and, you know, life and choosing of what they're doing because it's been assigned to them already. Yes. When you said drowning, I think that's a word that we hear over and over mm-hmm. and over. Yeah. I used to say it myself. Like I'm, I did mean in our clients, but like also like we've heard over yeah. and yeah. over and over. Yeah. But like when Stephen was working all those hours and I was still staying at home, we had two kids at that point and I was pregnant. We were about to have three like I am dying, Stephen. Like I'm, I am not okay. And yeah. I love what I'm doing because like, sometimes there's this idea of like, well, do something else. Like you, you are missing the point. Like mm-hmm. I'm not saying I want a job or a different job or I want whatever. I'm saying I need you to see this. And I think sometimes the resistance with the partner is like, you want to drag me down or you want me just to say like, fine, it's my fault. I'm the one who's doing nothing. I'm just sitting on my I hands over here. Enough, I can never it be enough. It feels like a criticism. Yeah, you guys just did an episode on that. It feels like mm-hmm. like coming across as a criticism when it's really we're trying to express a need, but it feels mm-hmm. critical. Like, it And feels, honestly, how yeah. often did it come out as criticism? A lot. Because yeah, like I'm trying. You're, you're upset. You're angry. I mean, that's where there's so much resentment around this particular topic. Like, Oftentimes what we hear partners say is, I tried to say it. I tried kindly. to be nice the first time. I tried to be Even nice the first hundred times. And I'm so sick of being dismissed and not heard or hearing this defensive, like, what? You know, what are you saying? I'm not doing anything. Like, or even the suggest like really, really, really bad suggestions and solutions from the uh, the non-default partner about oh, like, I what, gotta go what through you, this list, this post. what you should, you know, what you should do. Like all of that kind of stuff, which just Leave someone. Yeah, feeling, you should. You know what you need. You just need to like get your nails done once a yeah, week. You know what you need stuff, more yeah. baths. You know what you yeah. need. It's so invalidating. Workout. Yeah. Well, it's interesting though because I feel like my partner is also so solution focused and like rational mm-hmm. and logical, right? But it was so interesting, and I'll read off these points of this post because it was entitled something like "The Things That Enrage the Default Parent." Oh, our and, post. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'll read off the points here because it's like your solution. Practical problem solving has no business here right now. Yes. <laughs> like you need to park. Yeah. So let me read it and then we yes, can sure. continue our, our conversation. So there was a couple of points, things that enrage a default parent. When the other parent doesn't hear the child's cries or requests. I think even on the podcast, you guys were talking about a story where your kids were in the car and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, and Stephen, you had like, you were off thinking about, I don't know, football or something. Tom Tom Brady. He was thinking about Tom Brady. But in relationship to caring for my oldest son's hurt ankle, Ankle which, which is where the conversation started. And then it got like trailed off and then, then, you know, and so Aaron's like, hello, did you hear the question or are you tuned here or whatever? Like something, you know? Yeah. And the answer is no. Right. Or like yeah. the the request. Now I have to say things have shifted so much in our relationship as we've had endless conversations. And it sounds right. like as you guys have to yeah. to really redistribute things. So like 
nine times out of 10, my husband is the one to take the request, especially if it's a physical request because they know that mommy gets up for very little once she sat down at this right. point. So like there is a lot of that there now, but the emotional things are a lot of the other things they end up coming my way. When the non-default parent doesn't greet them in the morning or help soothe or calm them with warmth and enthusiasm. I read that when I was like, do you know how many times I've said to my husband, did you like give them a good morning hug or say hi when you came downstairs? And it's kind of like this thing where I'm like, am I just pushing my own parenting style and my own expectations of parenting onto you? Or is that like a thing that should really happen? But like, can you say hi? You know, when the non-default parent lets their feelings of helplessness win, so they aren't the same with me or they only want you. So why do I even Mm. need to stick this out or bother with this situation? Yeah. When the non-default parent won't do the reflective or growth work in parenting, So like really evaluating what parenting means to them and family and family values and all that type of like inner work. When the non-default parent offers criticism or suggestions when they aren't the ones doing any of the implementing of the role. Mm -hmm. And when the non-default parent is overwhelmed by the kids and cracks after being with them for five minutes. Now that one. Okay. Yes, you've had a 12-hour day at work. You've been on the train. You've been reading. You've done all of these things. You walk in, it's been five minutes. I have regulated myself all day long. Right. Tantrum mm-hmm. after nap refusal, after diaper change, after teething. And I kept my shit together, friend. <laughs> You've been here for five minutes and you're copping an attitude. I don't think that's going to work for me. I don't think that's going to go well for us. If your house is anything like mine, breakfast is the most frantic meal of the day. We all want to start the day off with a wholesome meal for our kids, but the time crunch makes it difficult. Magic Spoon helps relieve the morning rush with tasty cereals high in protein for a great start to the day. Magic Spoon offers a variety pack with four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And it has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs per serving. Each Magic Spoon cereal is made with wholesome ingredients and no artificial flavors or dyes. And since it's gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free, it's great for a variety of dietary needs. Go to magicspoon.com momwell to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momwell at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund you your money, no questions asked. Try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momwell and use the code momwell to save These are things that are so hard to articulate and really put validation to, but they are Mm -hmm. little, seemingly little things that matter so much. They just feel like they matter so much. Yeah. It feels like all of those things, and this is, I think, why it's so personal to both partners. So these are the things that now in our relationship make me feel known, not just Mm -hmm. as a parent, but like for Steven to greet our kid in the morning or to be like, genuinely excited they just walked into the room 
that's mm-hmm. good from our marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because when he yeah. doesn't, I mean, ultimately it costs me. Mm-hmm. It creates more dysregulation in my kid, which I'm going to end up having to regulate for later. It, it creates more of a, you know, a stress all of a sudden in the room. It's all these things. And these are the things that can make me feel known and loved by Stephen are the things that can make me feel like completely unknown, completely unseen, completely unloved. And mm-hmm. and ultimately, honestly, mm-hmm. these are the things that cause relationships to end. Like the resentment yeah. build up over like years and years and years of just feeling like invalidated as a human being. Like that is, it's hard to sustain wanting to be in a relationship when that's the case. Hmm. We say over and over, we're a stage-based relationship company because the thing is, is that happens when they're little, right? Like, so like soothing the baby when they Yeah, all these up. new things, that kind of like kind of that smack a couple in the face. <laughs> but uh, it tr- if, if it doesn't get resolved and not just like, oh, I see. And like I, I just patted Steven on his shoulder, like, which I, I mean to be sort of like a placating, like, you're right, that's hard for you, but it doesn't change. It just goes mm-hmm. into toddlerhood. And you have these things in the same way where they can't be soothed. You don't know why they can't be soothed by you because you never do anything to build that relationship. All you are is it like- It just, just becomes more entrenched over yes, time. Yeah. Right? These exactly patterns right. just yep. become more and more ingrained. And then that load just starts to become, like the gap becomes so wide. So and wide. And with that, once you have all of that, what I would call maternal knowledge of being in that role, how do you catch someone up after five years of knowing how to attune and soothe a child, right? Like, how do you start to share that role And it's interesting because in doing this work with my partner, there's been a lot of self-control I've had to have and restraint I've had to have to allow for the messiness to play out a little bit as he learns and catches up because he hasn't had the maternal knowledge and the, you know, day in and day out experience that I've had that I've had to like really allow messy moments to happen without stepping in. And that's really freaking hard for me, especially (laughs) if they're emotional or psychological moments where I'm like, oh, this is my shtick. You know, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. And I think that this emotional piece here for us is really important because often when we're talking default and invisible load, we're talking like physical tasks. But what you're describing, like the greeting of the children in the morning, this is like an emotional and psychological, like taking care of the kids that is so important and gets talked about even less than the other things, I feel like. And I think because it's hard to articulate, it's hard to Mm. say, especially because, and I mean, what we hear over and over is, how does that not sound like micromanaging? So now you want to tell me how I'm supposed to look at, touch, greet my own children. Like, Mm. I'm not trying to micromanage. I'm, I am trying to, though, explain like the energy we want in our house. And Stephen and I, I think one of the things that we did really early, even in our marriage before kids, was like create a value system. Like this is who we are as a couple. Like this mm. is, we called it our personal ethic, but that's because I was in school in my ethics class at the time. Um, but mm. we still call it our personal ethic. Yeah. It's now just our family ethic. And these are the things that contribute to our personal ethic. And these are the things that don't. And either mm-hmm. it, it gets filtered through that. And so I'm like, now whether or not Stephen has to like spend seven seconds with, you know, like uninterrupted eye contact and a touch on the shoulder and a ask if they want to hug, like, I'm not going to say that, but like, there is a feel that fosters our ethic and there's a feel that doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so it can feel like 
stop telling me how to be a parent. Like I know how to be a, they're my kids too. I know how to parent. And, and that's not what anybody wants. So like that conversation almost immediately gets lost and cast aside as like back off. Yeah. But the feel is important. And it's still the load. It's still the load that you're carrying. Cause what it is saying is like, you know, if I'm like the soother of the tantrums, for example, it's like, if, you don't learn how to do this, it always falls to me. And if you've not done it and I know what works, there is like a coaching element involved, but also they're not me. So it's a very complex Mm -hmm. thing to navigate, especially if like emotions and tensions are running high or it's in these like high emotional moments as kids, you know, often have. But it's not to say, I want to micromanage you. It's to say, I need you to share in this labor with me. Like this is labor and it can't always fall to just the one pain. This is exhausting. It's exhausting labor. Yes. So there has to be like the moments that pour in because if there aren't the moments that pour in and like just plain goodness, not just stressful times, but also like that's why greeting in the morning is so important. That's why like you know, whatever those positive, quote, positive emotional interactions are, because if those don't exist, that does cost me physically later. Mm -hmm. There is Mm -hmm. that cost. But then there is also the more stressed moments and high tension moments where if I am the only one doing it, it's obviously unfair. I mean, that's one of the, the things in that post, right? You know, like, we both hear them. Why is it assumed that I'm the one like, Hmm. and if it is because I can get them soothed fastest, why is that the case? Like, how did that become the pattern? And how can we shift that? And I think that's then related to the one of like, everyone has to do the work. One, everyone has to be respected as a parent, but also like, I can't allow you to parent in a way that ultimately costs me either. That Mm. is also not a good boundary or a boundary at all. Well, well, I think the idea there, the idea that everyone has to do the work, because I think there's this other kind of cultural script, kind of this um, and mixed, dumb dads. yeah, and mixed gendered couple, you know, dumb dads and lazy dads, like incapable dads. Yeah, yeah. Dads aren't smart, aren't relational. They don't know how to, you know, talk to kids. They're not emotional. Like, there's all these things that even just come with it that I think get wrapped up in this mm-hmm. idea too. And then there can be the, a, a condescending tone, and there can be a defensive yeah. like response. And to res- be super clear. That you don't believe in any of those things. I don't, yeah. because I think that if you really think about it in terms of everyone doing the work. So mm-hmm. if, if parents, if parenting partners come to the idea of how do we equitably engage in this mm-hmm. endeavor, which is parenting, I think that that's oftentimes where this conversation begins to shift when it's not about like, well, I know what I'm doing and you don't you know, you don't have the skills, like I'm emotional and you're a robot, like, like these kind of like dichotomies, they are very, very unuseful because all they do is they put one another in competition and in a threatened Mm. stance. But if partners can kind of come from and say, we both need to be equitably involved in this, Mm -hmm. which means you're reading a book on parenting. I should be reading the same book. We're thinking about, you know, the emotional well-being of our kid. We should be thinking about that together. Like we should both be giving the same amount of investment and effort here. And I think that, and I get like how it gets in balance, but I think that when the conversation can go from that place, it bypasses some of the um, 
when you start at equability so, rather yeah, than like yeah some of the noise some of the noise around what you know who knows more and those those kinds of things and and I think that mm-hmm. that is like at least in the conversations that we've had personally but then also when we talk to couples about this where I feel like things shift is when there's that kind of conversation like oh I need to be involved at the same level you are mm-hmm. okay and then you can be very practical about that. Yeah. What does that look like? How do you do that? Mm-hmm. How do you demonstrate that? How do you, you know? We've talked to a lot of couples at this point, and I would say never, which I know is a really big word. That's a big word. Has <laughs> the dad in any partnership been like, well, I don't want to be equal. I don't want mm. that, or I'm trying not to. Like, that's never, I think never. I'm going to say yeah, as close I to don't. never as I can think I, without having gone through every single person like, has a lot that of people. is the intent I, yeah. I think there is a conversation though that makes it feel inept or unwilling or resistant and i don't think the resistance is ever like well i don't want that kind of responsibility mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it's ever mm-hmm. malicious and not yeah, that but, it doesn't exist I, in the universe i'm sure it does but yeah, yeah. I had a conversation with Dr. Dan Singley. He was on, we were talking about the invisible load of fatherhood because I'm like, I can recite the invisible load of motherhood all day long, but like, what are dads thinking about up there in terms of invisible load? And one of the things that played out was a conversation about power and power dynamics. And as you referred to the patriarchy earlier and as, you know, care work is often undervalued, Yes. what mm-hmm. ends up happening is there is like a misalignment of power here. And thinking about that idea of like, how can we be equitably involved? I do think that one of the realizations, at least for me, was that I really, really had to do some heavy lifting and a lot more work to make things equitable because naturally they were not. And I think, Erica, you you mentioned kind of the patriarchy, which kind of made me think about this. And I think that the reason that that was my responsibility is because I think, and Erin says this sometimes, she's like, things are not just as easy. Like I can say certain things, I can do certain things. You, Stephen? Uh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, as Stephen, like that you can't say as easily. And, and, and I think that I can say like, yeah, things need to be equitable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But and that, you mean that. And, and I mean that, but the person who has to do the work there is me, not Erin, mm. because mm-hmm. she's already like under sort of the social construct of, you know, being a mom and what that means and all that, all the responsibilities there. And so really, it's not about Erin needing to be equitable and do work to make things equitable. It is about me doing the work. Mm -hmm. And I think that that Mm -hmm. can feel for in mixed gender couples, you know, for the male counterpart, I think that there can be a lot of resistance to that. And I think that there has to be sort of an awakening. Well, there's got to be like a buy-in there. And this Mm -hmm. is like in the conversation I had with Dan Singley talking about power and the invisible load and all of those things was that because care work is so undervalued and because the patriarchy sort of expects this of women and and it's sort of ingrained that we are in these roles and in these dynamics, to pick up the care work and to share in the household labor feels like a step down in power and authority. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like you know, a sacrifice of a position that, like, why would you want to do that? Why would you Mm. want to pick up and do the work when you've been pretty well taken care of a lot of, like, life? And it is a very 
interesting sort of power dynamic and sort of privilege there to unpack and get buy-in and willingness around. And so I think that there are definitely partners, more and more partners who are willing and open and wanting to grow and have these conversations and see these perspectives. And then I think that there are a lot of partners who this pattern serves them. And so they might not want to shift it. And that lack of willingness, which might not be the people that you see in your therapy room, because frankly, they're probably not the people who are doing the work. Sure. You know, that can be a really challenging situation for a mom or a partner to find themselves in because if there isn't a willingness or if this pattern is serving one person and they have no desire to unpack it or do it differently, then that shift or like that mismatch in power dynamic remains and and continues to exist there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I think, I mean, we definitely see a particular couple because they are the couple who is willing to have this conversation and knows you're going to have to talk about some hard stuff and, and face some difficult truths. A hundred percent. Like we are, I am very aware of that. We've never actually talked about it, but I assume we're very aware of that. Those are the couples we see, Mm -hmm. but it is invisible. So I also think that like the unwilling to see it is very different also than just from the, like, I don't, I don't see it. I just <laughs> you know? frankly like was unaware. Like I, I just yeah. didn't even know. Mm-hmm. Yes. Until something, either something stops happening that you really liked happening or until like, it, it's hard to know what the thing is. Like even you said, like, I don't know yeah. why that moment things clicked, but something clicked. And honestly, I think the default parent, me specifically, but also a lot of the default parents we talk to, they don't need, I'm not looking for Steven to be like, I'm so low and all I've ever done is take advantage of you and I'm whatever. Yeah, yeah. All Stephen had to say to me, literally the only part that stuck out and still stands out to this day was the cost is different for you. Hmm. I literally felt like an ice block melt in my chest. Like, yes, like I feel so seen. And then there was this empowered place then where I was like, and now I can say, this is that moment. Yeah. This is a moment. Mm-hmm. And well, he's like, oh, oh, this is a moment. Okay, I don't see it, but I want to. So acknowledgement and seeing feels like the first step here. Like for those who are listening or if they're sharing this with their partner, like just frankly, the seeing and the acknowledging and, you know, putting language or visibility to this experience. Totally. And I, I think one of the things we say is it comes out often as like, criticism, like me pointing out what Steven's not doing or me mm-hmm. pointing out what mm-hmm. Steven, like, and I, in an effort to try to show, to demonstrate their experience. And of course, that's a defensive place for Steven, but it's really not about Steven. Everything I'm trying to say is about me. I'm trying to explain my mm-hmm. experience. I'm trying to show you, like, you have no idea. You could mm-hmm. never imagine what my body feels like. You, you mm-hmm. can't. And when he can see that, I think we are suddenly like, we're not against each other. I'm not trying to say your life's easy, work's a party. Well, it's not, it's not mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. And that is when that conversation, I think, can really shift. One And I think the whole idea, like, you know, how systems of power get revolutionized and changed is the person mm-hmm. who has the power recognizes that there's privilege and that there's power and that there's misuse and they relinquish the power. And I, and I think mm-hmm. that and my responsibility as part of these imbalanced systems of power is to say the cost is different. You are right. 
And then like, I don't need that. Like, I don't need to fight to keep my, my position, right? Like, I don't want, I don't want to do that. In, like, that's not the kind of relationship I want to have. Mm-hmm. I do think that there was a lack of awareness for me and, you know, somehow we got there. But then once there's that acknowledgement, then there's also that action mm-hmm. that has to be taken on my end to say, well, then how will I actively work against that? Yeah. And not sit there and, and say to Aaron, like, well, tell me what to do. Like, what would make... No, like, I have to recognize how it happens. I have to do the work to change things. And I have to give up that power. And to, and to be honest, like, it makes a relationship so much better. And I really mm-hmm. do think that that is a significant dynamic that has to happen within the, you know, mixed gendered relationships because that's really what I can speak to in terms of my own personal experience here. Like yeah. there has to be that acceptance of this is present and I need to work against this power imbalance and not seek to maintain it. Yeah. Well, and it wasn't until my partner and I started to do that and to realize like how protected his time was and how sort of hedged in his, whether it was sleep or work or self-development and all of these things were and all the things that I was sacrificing. And also we were able to like retire him from corporate, have him home and the roles reversing a little bit that allowed me to actually do what I wanted to do, like create mm-hmm. the plot. I couldn't run a company if my time was spoken for in care work and household labor, like, you know? Yeah. So it took then us having these conversations and him doing these things. And now it's like an ebb and flow. Like this ball kind of rolls back and forth depending on the season and and who's prioritizing what. But he is the main contact on every school appointment, whatever form, and all of these things took time for us to push back on and redistribute so that I could reclaim and protect some of my time and development and things as well. Mm-hmm. I could freaking talk to you guys all day long. And there's so much more I feel like I want us to get into. I'm curious to know from the listeners what really resonated. What might you want to hear more about? Because I'd love to bring Stephen and Aaron back to continue this conversation more I'm curious to have like one last little thought, like if there's something that they can do today, if there's one step or one little thing that they can do, is it the acknowledgement and making it visible piece that we leave them with? Or what are your thoughts on that? We probably both have different. I was just going to say, we will no doubt have different thoughts. That's okay. (laughs) For me, I mean, it's personal. It was what I needed was to really pause. And this is what I always need in any healthy communication between the two of us. I start talking before I know what I'm feeling. I try to describe a situation before I am aware of... You're processing out loud. I'm processing. You don't have the like answer yet. I don't have that emotional connection to what I'm saying yet. And I think for me, it was really knowing what I was trying to say is I'm hurt. I feel unseen. I statements, right? Like, this mm. is what I'm feeling. And I'm, I'm drowning. I'm, I'm drowning. Dying, I'm you dying. know, those kinds of yeah, things. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I really am wanting to share that experience with you. Full stop. Like, and, and mm. yes, there has to be a whole lot more that comes later. But like, that's what I'm trying to express. And I feel like most partners that we see, again, there's, of course, a demographic that we don't see who doesn't, but like, want to know that. 
what's the true underlying need here? Because yeah. it comes out in these you statements, right? But really under that accusation or under that resentment or that frustration is an actual need that we're trying to express, but we may not even have put that language to yet. Yeah. I yeah. never even know it. It's usually mm-hmm. five minutes or five days into a like a fight that won't go away where mm-hmm. finally the emotion comes up and I'm like, I know what I'm feeling and yeah. I know what we actually need to be talking about. Yeah. That's a great piece. It will not go away yeah. until I feel like you feel this. And that is, mm-hmm. I think, would be my part. Like, what feels so important? Like, what do you need seen? What do you want known? What place do you feel like your partner just is missing? Because mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. going to go away until you know that. Then you really feel like they feel it. Like, like yeah. if we don't know, how can we expect them to know? That's totally. what I always say. Like, if we don't know what we need, how can they read our mind and know what we need if we don't even know what we need? Mm-hmm. Like, if there is that pause and reflection needed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, so, you know, always in communication, there's someone who's expressing something and someone who's listening, and that kind of goes back and forth. But in that dynamic where Aaron is trying to express something to me, I think that for the person listening, I think the biggest thing, like for me personally, but then also we talk to partners and couples about this all the time. There's this skill that we refer to as like suspending defensiveness. Hmm. And what happens is, Aaron might come and she might not know exactly what she's saying. And by might not, we mean almost never knows. It might be critical. (laughs) It might feel intense. It might feel attacking. But there is some work that I have to do because my initial response is going to be defensive about that. But when I feel Mm -hmm. defensive, what I need to begin to think about is that's a cue. That's a cue that something important is happening. Mm. And not think about it in terms of like, a me focus, but when I'm feeling defensive, that's a cue that says, I think Aaron's trying to tell me something important. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, I need to be able to take that defensiveness and it's like, I I need to take it and put it on the shelf. I just need to suspend it because my defensiveness, it's okay. Like, I don't like being attacked, right? I don't like, you know, maybe Aaron lobbing things trying to describe my experience by telling you what you're not doing that's fine that's fine that doesn't like of course it makes sense this is the person that you love and hold so dearly that you want anything like more than anything in the world to make happy so if they're expressing that they are upset or disappointed there is a physiological reaction of like absolutely you know it it makes so much sense. it feels threatening to let somebody that you love down in some way right Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean that i need to Say that's okay. Say that's okay. But but I just need to suspend the defensive. I just need to set mm-hmm. it aside just for a moment. And knowing and, we will come back to it. And say, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm missing something. Like, I, I'm not hearing it. I'm not getting it. I, I Like, you're trying to say something really important. And, I, and obviously, it doesn't sound like I'm hearing it. Mm-hmm. If you can do that, it softens the conversation. It opens it up. It gives the conversation space. And you can hear from one another. And I think that that is a skill. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you have to develop that skill. You have to practice it. You have to be attuned to your own defensiveness. And then you have to practice having that internal strength and courage to say, you know what? I'm not going to push back with my defensiveness here right now. Which what sometimes I'm looks do, like withdraw, sometimes looks like saying yeah, something yeah, bad. Or get, or getting mad or saying like, I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to lead with curiosity. Huh. Mm-hmm. Something's going on here. And I think that those are the 
things we talk to couples about all the time. And I, th I think that those are the dynamics that begin to shift the conversation when you can locate what you're feeling and needing and describing your experience and then in your expression and then the partner who's listening can suspend that defensiveness yeah, we've, and be curious. Yeah, we call it intentional expression and an intentional listening. And no mm -hmm. communication can happen without that, at least not that goes anywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's not like round and round. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's the difference between like a conflict that leads to connection and a conflict that ends in a several day long fight or maybe even just a couple minutes, but like one that ends up in like, it would have been better if we wouldn't have brought this up. Yeah. And that's a mm -hmm. terrible mm -hmm. feeling. And those things stack up. Mm -hmm. And I know that you both talk about it a lot, like different things in the podcast, like how to express that you're tired and how to feel heard with one another. So where can people find your podcast? Where can they find your platform? Yeah. So our podcast, I mean, any, you know, Spotify, Apple music, any podcast player you can find it. It's called Couples Counseling for Parents. And then our website is couplescounselingforparents.com. And then our Instagram is Couples Counseling for Parents as well. Yeah. And our yeah. YouTube. And our YouTube. YouTube's Ooh, coming. YouTube. YouTube is coming is Couples Counseling for Parents as well. So we're um, trying to want to try to do YouTube. I know. I, I <laughs> no, it's happening. Hear you it is on happening. That. Like yeah. it's, it's, it, it's not that we're going to do it. It, it. it is happening. It's in motion. So. It is yeah. in motion. But yes. But man, it's another thing. But it another feels, like a, it feels like a good thing. I actually like YouTube. It's an undertaking. I don't listen to podcasts ever. I think I've listened to like five. I know the only one we're on road trips and Stephen like Even though we have one. <laughs> yeah. I actually <laughs> listened to one of ours not long ago and our kids do the intro and I was like, <gasps> oh my gosh, I meant to mention that. It yeah. is the freaking cutest it's intro cutest. I've ever heard. It was, kids, it's yeah. so cute. It oh my gosh. Like it's so cute. Actual tears to my eyes. It probably will right now too. Yeah. It's so sweet. Um, it's but like I really do like sweet. YouTube. So like, I'm like, oh, this is a platform I, I know. Yeah. Oh, anyway. And we'll link all of that in the show notes for people. Thank you for joining us today. It's been so great to get to know you and hopefully we get to connect again and have you back. Thanks for being with us. We look forward yeah, to it. Thank, thank you, you so much. much for having us. It was great talking with you, Erica. I really appreciate how open, upfront, and transparent Aaron and Stephen were. Their story reinforces something that I've experienced and that so many other professionals and experts I've had on the show talk about. We think that we are prepared for motherhood, that we have the skills and the tools to navigate the change, but the reality is so much more than we realize it's going to be. Erin and Steven had the therapy background and the knowledge and the expertise under their belt, and they never anticipated how hard it was going to be to sustain their relationship when dealing with all these pressures of parenting. I want to touch on something that Erin said. She pointed out that in her experience, partners never want to not be equal. And I know that for so many of you, you might be thinking that that's not the case for you. You might not have a willing partner, or you might not have a partner who is open to therapy. You might not have a partner who's going to do the inner work. And you might have a partner who's shutting you down when you talk about things like the mental load or the distribution of labor or the default parent. But I want you to remember that in most cases, your partner is not truly the problem. Neither one of you are the problem. We're both dealing with pressures and expectations and gender norms that society has handed us. And we often don't understand where each other is coming from. Now that's not to say that our partners don't have a responsibility and shouldn't play an active role here because they absolutely should. But it's not until we clearly define what the problem is and stop pointing at each other that we can work together as a team to truly address the elephant in the room. 
I believe that in so many of your partnerships, change is possible. And it might start small, but the more we get used to letting go of the default role, and the more we have our conversations with our partner and they take ownership over different domestic duties, the more we're gonna feel like a team and collaborate together to find solutions that can really help us break out of these patterns. These patterns and norms are quite entrenched and we've often lived with them for many years. They're not going to change overnight, but a great place to start is thinking about what you really need from your partner. Do you need to feel seen, loved, appreciated, cared for? Do you just need more hands that you don't have to ask for or manage? For so many of us, we don't even know what we need that we struggle to communicate it with our partners. So us understanding what it is that we need from them helps us to be our own advocate to make sure that our needs get met. And maybe if your partner is willing, ask them to listen to this episode. It can be a great place to start to ignite some conversation about this default parent role. I'd love to hear from you about your thoughts on this episode and what other conflict you might be struggling with in your relationship. Send me a DM on Instagram, send us an email, let us know what you'd like covered on the podcast. And if you and your partner, or potentially just you individually, need some support, know that you don't have to do this alone. You can book a free 15-minute virtual consultation with one of our mom therapists to help you navigate the struggles that you're experiencing in your relationship. Head to momwell.com slash booking to learn more. That's momwell.com slash booking. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where I'm being joined by psychotherapist Catherine Morgan Schaffler to discuss perfectionism in motherhood. This is a hot take on perfectionism that you don't want to miss. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center. To join the Momwell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to momwell. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.